Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Tom. I'm pastor of our small groups here at Rockbrook Church, and it is my honor, my privilege to get to deliver this last message in our Uncommon series. And in this series, we've been saying that great relationships are possible, but not probable. And they're not probable because we're not doing it God's way, we're doing them the world's way. And when we do them the world's way, we, we've, we've, we've come to believe that the world's way is the common way. It's the right way. And, but we say that great relationships are possible when we do it God's way. And our theme verse is Romans 12, uh, Romans 12 chapter, or verse 2. Let's, uh, let's look at this. It's up on the screen. screen. It says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for your life, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So you got to let God transform you. So the way to move from common to uncommon thinking is to let God do a work on the inside of you. So I want you to say this with me together. In the verse it says, let God transform you. I want you to say, uh, we're going to say this together, let God transform me. So let's say it together. Let God transform me. And the reason why I want you to do that, because I want you to make this personal today. Because we highlight this because some of you are thinking, you know, Tom, I've tried this in my relationships already and it's not working. And I just want to ask you this question. Have you let God transform you first? God offers us a different way. And we often don't choose His way because it's uncommon. It doesn't feel natural to us. But that's what this series has been all about. It's about thinking differently in your relationships. And we first looked at the uncommon love. How to find the love of your life. And then we looked at uncommon commitment. You know, uh, death Death tell us part. You know, we, 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 have co- we have covenants in our relationships, not contracts. Because contracts, we look for loopholes. Covenants we take before God. Uncommon communication, the power of our tongues, our tongue and our words. God has a, a completely different way and it's, and it's uncommon. So if what you're doing isn't good, pleasing, and perfect, I want you to consider today to think differently. To think God's way. And today we're going to look at uncommon conflict. Why? Why would we dive into such a topic? Because here's the reality. You're going to have conflict. Can I get an amen from my married people? (laughs) Come on, man. Help me out. You know, the engaged, uh, the newlyweds, uh, maybe some of you are are remarried and you're thinking, no, not us. We're going to be different than everybody else. Yeah, right. Yeah, don't, let, don't mislead yourself. You know, a common way people think about, uh, about marriage is like a deck of cards. You know, it starts out with uh, two hearts and a diamond. And then I wish I had a club and a spade. There's my married people. Conflict is inevitable, right? There, if there's any area in our life where we need God to transform us, 
from the inside out. It's in this area of conflict. So let's look at some causes to conflict. And these are going to be very common to you, but let's just go over them real quickly here. One is poor communication. And I'm not going to dive into this uh, uh, a whole lot here because Pastor Ryland delivered a great message last weekend about uncommon communication. I would encourage you to go back and uh, review that message. But he talked about the power of the tongue. You know, it can bring both life and death to a relationship. You know, I heard of this guy who said this. I can't hardly believe it. But he said to his wife, this, this is what he said. Um, I can't believe God made you so beautiful and so stupid. And she said, well, let me explain. God made me so beautiful so you would be attracted to me. And he made me stupid so I would be attracted to you. <laughs> you know, most conflicts, right? They start off with something very small. And then we make it worse by the words that we use. The words we speak. And so if you like to pray scripture, or maybe, maybe you don't have a great prayer life, I just want you to highlight this next verse on your outline, because it's a great prayer, especially considering the topic we're talking about today. And you could just pray this and just say, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Right? I mean, just pray in that, that, simple, that simple prayer. You know, a door has hinges, and it has hinges so you can control it, so you can open and close it. And so we need God's help to help us sometimes to, to close our mouth. So the next time conflict gets stirred up, gets teed up in your house, and you know when it's about to happen, you can feel it. You can feel the tension in the air, right? Your mouths are loaded and cocked. You're at one end of the hallway. She's at the other end of the hallway. And then, bam, someone fires the first shot. Don't fire the first shot. Take your response to God. We have to stop and to say, God, put a guard over my mouth and keep watch over my lips. The second cause of conflict is unfulfilled expectations. In fact, all conflict really begins here, right? You, you've never gotten angry except when you've had an unfulfilled expectation. You had it all built up in your mind, how this was supposed to play out, how it was supposed to happen. It didn't happen that way, so you got upset and you got mad. And the Bible actually speaks to this very directly in the book of James. Let's look at this verse. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You know, I want 58 Highway to be free of cars. And then a bunch of them show up, right? And now I'm mad, I'm upset. You know, I wanted you to pick me over your friends. I wanted you to act this way when you came home from work. You know, I'm upset. I wanted something. I have a desire within me and it didn't happen. And it's normal and it's natural to have expectations. And it's normal and natural to have them unfulfilled. The problem is our response when that happens. James goes on to say, you kill and covet. You cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. And he even goes on to say even further, this verse goes on to say, you do not have what you want because you did not ask God. So we didn't go to God first. And then he goes, when you do ask, you ask with the wrong motivation. You know what our typical motivation is? It's, it's God, make them be this way. 
God changed them. And then he says, you want what will only give you pleasure. That's what it's really about. I want pleasure for me. And so I want them to act a certain way. But we got to go to God first. And the truth is we set our expectations so high and we expect people to fill an expectation that only God can fill in our life. An uncommon life is what we're talking about. A good, pleasing, and perfect life. And, and it's got to start with God's Word and it's got to start with prayer. Number three, uh, the third cause of conflict, we are despising our differences. You know, when we first get into a relationship, man, we celebrate the differences. Oh, baby, you complete me. Oh, I'm having so much fun. I would have never have done this without you. And then as we get settled into that relationship, those differences begin to rub me the wrong way. They irritate me. She's hot, you're cold. She wants the TV on, you want it off. She wants classical music, you want rap. That's what happens at my house. <laughs> you know, my wife and I, we're opposites. We recently took a marriage assessment and uh, discovered she has a romantic mindset. And there's nothing wrong with the romantic mindset. You know, the romantic mindset has this idea that everything's going to go perfect. And uh, I have a resolute mindset. So I'm thinking about everything that's going to go wrong. <laughs> And she's very upbeat. She's very spontaneous. Um, I'm, I'm more of a realist. I'm thinking of the best and worst case scenarios, and I'm trying to plan for those. But here's the deal. Those opposites can irritate you, or you can find value in them. And the truth is, we'd be worse off if we both had the per same personality. Can you, can you imagine if, if Jen had the same personality as I did? We would never leave the house because we would sit around and we'd talk about the best and worst case scenario all day long. She gets us out of the house. And we understand this in sports, you know, on a football team. We don't need all 11 guys weighing 350 pounds, right? We just need four or five guys that weigh 350 pounds. We need a couple guys in the backfield that are, are stocky and they're fast, and we need one tall guy who can uh, make decisions quick and get rid of the ball. And we think that way in sports, but when it comes to our relationships, we don't think that way. And Jesus said, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And this is why we have to value our differences I have to let God do something inside of me first. I have to change the way I think about the other person. Number four, the fourth cause of conflict. We all have a sin nature. And we could have just really just used this one point here to describe what's going on here. Because we're all fallen. You know, you want to know why you don't communicate well or the other person doesn't communicate well or why you set high expectations and you get upset when they're not met and um, why um, I, I, I get rubbed the wrong way when there's a difference, when someone's different than I do. It's because we're fallen. We have a sinful nature. Look at the Bible says, for everyone is sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. So I have to remember first that I don't measure up, even to God's glorious standards. And so I, when I do that, I can leave room for someone when they don't communicate well, when they don't meet my expectation, and, and when, when they have a difference. 
Look, if you were hoping that I was going to tell you how to get everybody else in your life to change, that's not going to happen. But what I am going to tell you is that you have to let God do something inside of you first. That's where it starts. You know, ultimately, you can't control anybody else. The only person that you can control is yourself. Now, we're going to look at three common and one uncommon way we handle conflict. And, and you've heard us teach these before, but I just want to review them. Uh, one common response we have to conflict is my way. You know, it's I'm the boss, I'm the leader, I'm the dad, my way or the highway. The second common response is your way. And, and some of you, for the sake of peace, you say, okay, have it your way. But inside, you're really not okay with it. Inside, you're miserable. You don't like what's going on. And then a third common response, and some think this is the right way, and it's close, but it's not the right way, is halfway. And this is where we say, okay, for 50% of the time, you get your way, and for 50% of the time, I get my way. But the problem with this way is that for 50% of the time, I'm still miserable, right? And there's a fourth option. And I promise you, if you keep coming to church and you keep going to your small group, you're going to see that, that it is uncommon uh, than these other ways. And this uncommon way is God's way. God's way. And what is God's way? Well, we're going to look at Ecclesiastics 3, 1 through 5. And this is a poetic verse. It has a lot of meaning about life. And it, and it says, there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. And then it goes down a long list of things. And then in verse 5, it says, There is a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. So what does that mean to scatter stones? Well, you might scatter stones if you're going to plant a vineyard or a garden. And maybe some of you have done this. You know, you till up the ground and you discover there's rocks there. So you pick up the rocks and you throw them to the side. You scatter them to the side. Another reason we might scatter stones is if we were going to war, because when this was written, um, you know, rocks were bullets, and, and you see this in the story of David and Goliath. You know, David um, is going to go out, and he's going to fight this giant, so David grabs a stone, puts it in his sling, he swings it around, hurls it at the giant, hits him in the head, boom, he's dead. Or you can gather stones. And you can gather stones to make a structure, build a home out of stones, or a wall, a defensive wall around a city to protect it. Or you might gather stones to make an altar. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament. When God would deliver his people, they would build an altar at that very place where God uh, delivered. And so there's a story in the Old Testament that demonstrates this, and it starts around Genesis chapter 29, and it goes through chapter 31. It's about two men, Laban and Jacob. Laban has two daughters. Leah is his firstborn daughter, and Rachel is his secondborn daughter. And Jacob falls in love with Rachel, and he wants to marry Rachel. So he goes to Laban and says, I want to marry your secondborn, Rachel. And Laban goes, okay, you can do that, but you've got to work for me for seven years. So Jacob works for him for seven years. Now it's wedding day and Jacob goes into the honeymoon tent and Laban, instead of sending Rachel in, he sends his firstborn daughter in, Leah. And Jacob wakes up the next day and what happened? 
Now, that's a, that's a whole nother sermon for another day, right? I mean, come on. But anyways, he wakes up and he goes out to Laban and he said, hey, I wanted to marry Rachel. I wanted to marry uh, your second born. And he goes, well, it's our custom that the first born daughter gets married first. And he goes, what do I got to do to marry Rachel? And he goes, well, you got to work for, for me for another seven years. And so this goes on and on and on. And, and Jacob ends up working for Laban for 20 years. And he's married to Rachel, married to Leah. They had children together and, and he's got a large herd and flock and he's fed up at this point. So he decides to leave and he leaves without telling Laban. And once Laban finds out, he gathers his relatives together and they go out in pursuit of Jacob. And Laban finally catches up with Jacob at the camp. He overcomes the camp and they have a heated exchange. And then uh, uh, Jacob, in this exchange, Laban is telling Jacob, look, I want a truce. I want to I be able to kiss my grandkids goodbye. I want to kiss my daughters goodbye. And, you know, even though you've supposedly taken these things from me, I'll let you have them. And, and you can go on your way and we'll call truce. And, but you've got to imagine, what is going through Jacob's mind right now, right? I mean, this guy's lied to me before. So Jacob tells his, his relatives to gather stones, and he picks up a stone. So you feel the tension right here. You know, Jacob, Jacob could give the command, hey, throw your stones, let's go to war. But let's look at what he does, Genesis 31, 46. He said to his relatives, relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Jacob decided to make an altar and go to God. And we have this choice to hurl our stones or make an altar every single day. And some of you are tra you've, tra you've trapped yourself. You think, I can never be right in my heart until they and you fill in the blank. And you've basically put that other person in control of the situation. You've put them in charge of your peace and your hap and, and in, in your happiness. And I want you to have freedom. I want you to lay down your stones. Don't hurl them back. Lay down your stones and pile them up and make an altar to the God and go to Him about it. Here's something else I want you to chew on this week is conflict cannot continue without my participation. Conflict cannot continue without my, my participation. I don't have to participate. I have decided I'm not going there. Conflict takes two. And if you don't play, game over. Look, God's not here to give you what you want. God doesn't say, have it your way. You want, you want that person to change? No problem. I'll take care of it. I'll get them. No. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible in Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I myself no longer live. Christ lives in me. I live my life in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So I come to a place where I lay down my desires, my expectations. I go to God's altar and I say, God, I'm going to live for your desires, your expectations. For me. 
The Bible says when we become a believer, the old me is gone and, and, and the new has begun. The new person has begun. The old Tom has passed away. A new Tom has been born in Christ Jesus. You know, here's the deal about a dead person. A dead person doesn't get mad. They don't get upset. They don't say harsh words. They don't react. And this is power. Because if, if that person, that other person that you're in conflict with decides to never come to the table and resolve it, it doesn't matter because I can still be right in my heart with God. But here's the deal. Here's the real victory is that God can do a change in you so that the other person sees that change and they'll come to that table and they'll reconcile. But it starts with you. They've got to see the change in you. And so I'm going to build this altar about everything I'm mad about. I'm just going to take those stones, instead of hurling them back, I'm just going to lay them down. Every wound, every harsh word, every, every hurtful thing that's been done to me, I'm just going to lay them down. I'm going to pile them up, and I'm going to say, God, I release it to you. Change me from the inside out. Change my heart. And I know this is difficult. This isn't, this isn't common. It's uncommon. Because typically we want God to change the other person. So what does it look like? What does, it, what does a transformed life look like? What, what are some uncommon responses to conflict? Well, let's take a look at those. Number one, I will act and not react. So next time conflict comes my way, I will no longer react and then go to church and tell God, God, I blew it again. And then react again and I blew it again, God. Blew it again. No, we're going to come up with a pre-conflict plan. If conflict gets teed up, I'm going to have a plan of how I'm going to, I'm going to act. And this may seem odd to you, but every married couple, you need this. Let's look at this verse, Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The Bible says, don't go to bed with all of that on your heart. Don't let the days pass with all of that festering up inside of you. Why? Because you'll give the devil a foothold. Trust me, something that started out small, he's going to stir it up in your mind. He's going to put thoughts in your mind. He's going to stir it and stir it until it becomes a huge thing. My wife, Jen, and I, we have a pre-conflict plan. Let's take a look at these. They're not in your notes. You might want to write them down in your margin. And the first one is don't put it off. Never put it off. Now, and I've, I've, I've seen some people try to do this and they think, hey, before the night's over, I don't care what the issue is, we need to settle it tonight. And I don't think that's necessarily true. There are some things that you can settle that night, but there are some things that's going to take more than just one night. And there's no need for you staying up until three o'clock in the morning trying to figure it out, then have to go to work and then think you're going to come home after being tired and resolve it. It'll just make it worse. But here's what you can do. At the, very, at, at, at the very least, just go to bed. Look at your spouse and say, Honey, I love you. You are not my enemy. Let's pray together. Next, never call names. Never say, You're just like so-and-so. You act just like so-and-so. Especially if you're remarried. Do not, do not bring up your ex-wife or husband's name. That is a no-no. 
Don't use harsh words. The Bible says harsh words stir up more, stir up more anger. Don't use stupid and dumb and moron. Parents, especially with your kids. Never get historical. Never get historical. Don't bring things up in the past, especially if you've already resolved it. You know, if you both agreed, hey, this is, I'm sorry, you're sorry, this is what we're going to do, don't bring it back up. Never use absolutes. Words like, you never, you always, or all the time. Because that's not true. That's simply not true. And here's the biggie. Never threaten divorce. You know, this saved my marriage. This one thing changes everything. Because when you take that divorce card off the table, it forces you to work it out. You know, death tell us part. We've got a long, we've got a long time to spend together here, honey. And, and we, can either, we can either be happy or we can be miserable, but we're not getting a divorce. And, and for me, I choose happy. I want a great relationship. I want, a, I, want a, I want a relationship God's way. So number two, an uncommon response to conflict. I will focus on the good in you. Every day, I have to, I have to make a decision to go to the altar. And I'm going to be faced with people on the job, people on the road, people at the store, my wife, my kids, but I have to find the good. I have to find the good in the situation. Let's look at this, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Notice the whatevers. Man, find the whatever. Anything. Find the whatever, whatever is good. And, and then it goes on to say, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me. Man, have you learned or received or heard anything or seen anything through this Uncommon series? Then it says, put it into practice. And if you put it into practice, what's it say is going to happen? And the God of peace will be with you. You want peace in your relationships? Practice focusing on the good, whatever it is, and the God of peace will be with you. God wants to transform you. So I start the day by laying down my stones and making an altar. I don't throw the stones, I gather the stones. I make an altar. And I'm saying, Lord, before anything else happens, I'm making the choice that I'm going to act instead of react. And the way that I'm going to act is I'm going to find the good in you. Number three, an uncommon response. I will apply God's grace to you. I will apply God's grace to you. How many of you in this room want God's grace in your life? Raise your hand. Yeah, we all want God's grace in our life. Man, I want as much of God's grace in my life as I can get, get my hands on. But here's the deal. I want God's grace, but God, make that person pay. God, that's not right. Do something about it, God. It's amazing how much grace I can receive, but I, wanna, I, I just want to give a little bit of grace. You want to see God get fired up? Ask Him for grace in your own life and then turn around and, and ask Him to, to make somebody pay. 
Write this down in, in, your, in your margin there, Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, there is a story of a guy who owes a huge debt. And he is forgiven of this debt. And immediately after being forgiven of his debt, he turns around and he goes and finds a guy who owes him a couple of bucks and he's angry at the guy and wants him to pay him back. Read that story. Jesus gets fired up about that. And the Bible says in Romans 12, 19 through 21, do not take re revenge, my dear brothers, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So there's God's job in this. It's God's job to take revenge, not mine. He is the perfect judge. He knows the whole situation in and out. He knows what's in your mind, what's in your heart, what the other person is thinking, what's in their heart. He knows it all. So he gets to take revenge. And this says, on the contrary, here's my responsibility. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So whatever it is they're doing, I make my altar. Here you go, brother. Have something to eat. Have something to drink. Here, you want my coat? Take my coat. Here, you want to punch me on this side of the cheek? Here, have my other side of the cheek. Just keep piling. God, it's yours. You take, you take revenge. But here's the deal. Romans 12, 18, right before this. It says, do all that you can. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I hear you, but I don't think I can do this. And you're right, you can't unless you do the fourth thing. The fourth, the uncommon response is, I will remember God's grace to me. I will remember God's grace to me. Every time you do this, God's power will show up. I guarantee you. Let's look at this, this verse, 1 John 4, 8 through 11. God is offering us transformation. He says, the person who refuses to love does not know the first thing about God. Because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. And this is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. And this is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. My dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. So every time I remember what he has done for me, it gives me the capacity to do it for others. When I remember God's grace to me, I am, other, I am able to love people I couldn't love before. I am able to be patient with people I couldn't be patient with before. I am more kind and I am more gentle with the people around me. You know, when we take communion together in our small groups, we do it so that we remember God's grace in our own life. And one of the values we, hear, we have here at Rockbrook is remember the why. When you remember the why, it changes the way that you serve on your dream team. 
When you remember God's grace for you, it changes the way that you serve the people uh, here at Rockbrook. When I remember God's grace, I can act instead of react. I can see the good in you, and I can give you God's grace. You know, I heard recently that a feeling or an emotion only has a lifespan of about 90 seconds. Isn't that amazing? Only 90 seconds. So what keeps it alive? Your thoughts. You have to change the way you think. You want peace instead of conflict? You have to change the way you think. You've got to remember God's grace for you. And that dramatically changes the way you think. Let me share something with you. When my wife and I first met, every other word out of my mouth was the F word. I controlled conflict by being the loudest, by being the most aggressive, by being the most destructive. When I was upset, I would literally suck the life out of a room. I deeply regret some of the things that I've said and done to my wife and my kids. But God has given me grace. I'm not the same anymore. The old Tom is dead. Christ lives in me. But here's the deal, I can't stop there. I also have to recognize that I have to die daily. The Bible says that we are to be a living sacrifice And the problem with a living sacrifice is that it can choose to not even go to the altar. It can choose to crawl off the altar. And every day got to go to the altar. And what is the altar? It's God's Word. God's Word is the altar. The Bible says that my body is a temple. And if my body is the temple, this is God's altar. And He has gathered together stones. He has compiled stones. 39 books in the Old Testament, he has compiled stones. 27 books in the New Testament to make an altar. And he says, Tom, I want you to lay your life down on this. And the Bible says that Jesus is the high priest. And he says, Tom, if you will lay your life on this altar, I will change you from the inside out. I will make you a new person. And at this altar, he reminds me, what he's done for me. He's forgiven my past. And at this altar, he reminds me what he is doing in me right now. He has given me a purpose to live live for. And at this altar, he reminds me that I have a future. I have a future with him in eternity forever. You know, whenever I encounter others in conflict, or I am personally dealing with conflict, I ask this question. How close are you to God? Tom, how close are you to God right now? Are you reading His Word? Are you talking back to Him through prayer? What are your relationships with the other Christian men in your life? Are you being honest with them? Usually if there's something going on in my life, if there's tension, if there's conflict going on, I can usually pinpoint it back to one of those three things. I'm not reading, I'm not praying, I'm not being honest. If God is going to do a change in me, i got to ask myself, how close am I to God? And some of you need to ask, is He inside me? And some of you are here today and you are far from God. And you've kept God at a distance. 
And here's what the Bible says about that person. The Bible says that you are in conflict with God. So before you're going to ever resolve any other conflict, anything else that's going on in your life, you've got to resolve your conflict with God and you've got to invite him in. And so I want you to listen to what I'm going to say to this second group of people. There are some of you that are saying, you know, I want this. I want this uncommon life that you're talking about. I, w- I want an uncommon love. I want an uncommon commitment. I want uncommon communication and an uncommon conflict in my life. But Tom, I'm trying and it's just not, it's not clicking. Here's the deal. In order for God to transform you from the inside out, you have to let him in. Here's the verse that changed my life. Revelation 3.20. Jesus said, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Look, here's another door. It has hinges. I have control. And if you see any of the paintings about this verse right here, you you will notice that Jesus is on one side of the door and there is not a doorknob on his side. But there's a doorknob on your side. You have a choice. He gives you the choice to turn that doorknob, fling that door open and say, Jesus, come in. Come into my heart. Change me from the inside out. I want us all to bow our heads right now. If this is you, I just want you to ask Jesus, just come in. Open open up the door of your heart and ask him to come in. Ask him to forgive you for not inviting him in sooner. Admit you've been living a common life that is going nowhere. Bad relationships, no commitment. Your communication has been ugly, destructive, and negative. You don't respond to conflict very well. Just admit it. And then believe Jesus rose from the dead. And believe he wants to raise you from a dead life to a new life, an uncommon life. It's God's way. Confess Jesus as your Savior and your forever friend, just like the verse says. Maybe you're here and, you, and you've opened that door and Jesus is sitting at the table as your Savior, but you've never let him be your friend. You're sitting at the table and your mind is spinning on how you're going to respond to that person that just offended you. And that verse says, Jesus has, pre- has prepared a meal for you. You know, in the Bible, it, it uses the word of God and food interchangeably. And Jesus is saying, my beloved son, my beloved daughter, Listen to me. Hear my words. Remember the grace I have given you. Remember. And it will transform the way you think. So Lord, today we drop our stones. and We make an altar to you today. We come to you asking for you to do a work in us. It's not them, God. Lord, we recognize today it's me. Start with me. Transform us. Lord, we're not able to do this on our own. We need you to change us from the inside out. Lord, let us leave here changed today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.